Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. If you will open up your Bible app or the Bible you brought with you or the one in the pew in front of you, we're going to be reading today from Luke's Gospel chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. Hear with me now the words of the Lord. Jesus entered into Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and he climbed the sycamore tree to see him because Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry down, for I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus hurried down and was happy to welcome him. And all who saw it began to grumble. And they said, he is gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood there and he said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay them back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Guide our feet, O Lord. Guide our feet in the way of your steps. Guide our feet in the ways of your kingdom. Guide our feet, our very lives in the ways of your word. Speak to us, O Lord, for your servants are listening. And may your words guide our lives so that we would not be just mere hearers of them, but doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. Invariably, when I am around a new group of people, people that don't know me or where I'm from or what I do, the question always turns, this happens in any group, well, who are you? What do you do for a living? Now, you can imagine, I mean, y'all know what I do for a living, right? And so you can imagine when I tell people what I do that there are one of two responses. One, they run for the hills like I am carrying some mixture of Ebola, the stomach flu, and COVID, and they want to get as far away from me in a social setting as possible. Or there's the other option. And it generally starts out like this. Wow. So I've got a question. And with that, we start into a long diatribe about Bible or theology, or it's an unofficial counseling session for which I am really not trained Or maybe they want to pick apart and try to find a loophole for salvation so they don't have to change their lives, but keep doing what they're doing, but it's going to be all okay. 
And somewhere about an hour into that conversation, I think to myself, man, you're going to have to come up with another answer. And then I started to think about that, like, well, what answer could I give that's, you know, I mean, it's really not going to be true, but like, what if I said I was a plumber or if I was a politician or even a bomb technician? What I figured out is that either they would either run far away from me for the same reasons or they would start asking deeper questions that I have no answers for. And I kept thinking about that. I thought, really, what can I answer? And then I remembered back to a conversation, a similar conversation that I had uh, in one of my first years of ministry. Mary and I were serving churches. I was in Thomasville. She was in High Point. And we were at a Christmas party for a Sunday school class in her church. And I walked up to this guy. I was talking to him and said, so what is it you do for a living? And he says to me, because I got ahead of the curve once. And I said, so what are you doing? He goes, I work for the IRS. Listen, nothing will kill a party vibe like saying, I work for the IRS. Those of you that do, thank you for your service. But really, no one wants to talk to the tax man, right? So I got to think about it. Let's be really clear. Why is it that we fear the tax man? I mean, we know that when I fear right now, it's happening in our election campaigns. There's 85,000 marauding tax agents that are going to come knock down our door and pillage our homes. Or maybe if you're fortunate, if you pick up the phone call and there's this insistent voice that there's an IRS agent coming to your house right now. And in order to stop them from coming, you should drive to Walmart and buy some gift cards. Like, I think to this myself, I know where Walmart is and where I live, and if they're on their way right now, I don't know where they're coming from, but they'll get to my house while I'm still trying to get through the checkout line at Walmart. This is a bad business principle, but apparently it's a scam that works, so don't fall for that. But truly, maybe our fear of the tax man is somewhat rooted in history. Maybe it's rooted in not wanting to give things up, but I think it's rooted in history. It goes all the way back to the Bible. Look at the text that we read. It's the only story, this story only appears in the Gospel of Luke. But it talks about Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector. And it really makes it clear that he is the worst kind of human being. I mean, when you think about this, in their day, there was like a hierarchy of bad people. Like they were just your everyday run-of-the-mill sinners, And then there were the really bad sinners, and then there were the tax collectors, and then there's the chief tax collector. And why is that? See, in those days, tax collecting, you were working for the government, you were working for the Roman army that was oppressing people, and they had to collect taxes, but there was an arbitrary nature to it. So the tax collectors could walk into your house and say, you owe taxes, and it's going to be X, Y, and Z. There wasn't a 1040 EZ or a 1040 or even an internal revenue code this thick to adjudicate what you owed. They just gave you a number. And if you didn't pay it, you went to jail. You were punished. And so basically they were sort of skimming off the top because the government only expected a certain number and they padded the number for themselves. And Zacchaeus, being the chief tax collector, he got a commission on their commission. I go figure that one for a minute. So here you have Zacchaeus, the worst kind of human being, and yet something in this text, something in this story profoundly happens to him. And that, my brothers and sisters, is what we're to talk about, is what happened in his life that turned his life upside down. See, Zacchaeus, the scoundrel that he is, he has this encounter with Jesus that totally transforms his life. 
And friends, no matter what our lives are like, when we have that same kind of an encounter with Jesus, it can transform our lives as well. And to see this kind of radical change, this transformation, we need to kind of follow Zacchaeus' formula. The first is that Zacchaeus sought Jesus out. The second is that Jesus engaged in that relationship with Zacchaeus and vice versa. Zacchaeus engaged in a relationship with Jesus. And third, Zacchaeus allowed himself to be changed by the power of God's word and Holy Spirit. And if we do the same, then we too can be called sons and daughters of the Most High. So think about that first step, this idea of seeking Jesus out. How many of you, by the show of hands, how many of you remember that song that we learned in Bible school? You know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up the sycamore tree for Jesus to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. How many of you remember that? Yeah, a lot of you. There's a reason that we teach songs like this in Sunday school and in Bible school and in children's choir. We teach it to teach children how to sing, but we're teaching our faith. It's Christian education. So just like the hymn that we sang this morning, there is theology in that. That's part of we sing our praises, but we do that as another way to learn to grow deeper in our faith. But see, in the first part of this song, the first part of Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he, we learned that Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus because he was short and there were so many people crowded around him. So Zacchaeus gets ahead of the crowd and he climbs up a tree so that he can clearly see Jesus. He seeks him out. It's a very intentional act. And so for us to have our lives changed by Christ, we too have to be that intentional. We have to seek him out. We have to rise above the things that crowd out our opportunity to see him. This intentional act like climbing a tree is things like coming together in worship on a weekly basis regularly. Now, I know that there are a lot of distractions in the world around us. When I grew up, there were hardly... Um, half the billion things that you can do on a Sunday afternoon now. But if we really want to build that relationship, we've got to be intentional about being together in worship. Sure, the couch and other things beckon, but maybe, just maybe, if we want to know what God is all about, what God wants for us, we need to seek him out by being here together, climbing up this tree, if you will. But it's not just in worship, it's also in fellowship groups like Sunday school classes and small group studies. It's about doing activities, it's about asking the leading questions, about being in fellowship with each other so that we grow and learn. See, the first step for having our lives irrevocably changed like Zacchaeus is to seek a life in Christ. But then we go to the next step. What happens is Zacchaeus, remember, he's way up in the tree, and Jesus sees Zacchaeus, and he says, Zacchaeus, come on down. Come on down. I'm going to your house today. Now, presumably what Jesus has done is he has invited himself to Jesus' house. I mean, to Zacchaeus' house. Jesus has invited himself to a meal, which is why the people were really upset, because Jesus takes time to eat with the worst of the sinners. But what do we know about hospitality? You know, hospitality is about how we really get to know one another, right? It's about asking questions, about building relationships. It's about learning manners or what their manners are, what they like and what they dislike. If you spend enough time with someone and you ask enough questions, 
even if you're breaking bread around a table, you learn their favorite meals. Just this week, I learned that one of my colleagues that a favorite meal in their house is to take new potatoes and to slice them up, to cover them with a little bit of butter, season them with Lowry seasoned salt, put them in the oven for 350 for I don't know how long, and it comes out and voila, it's the best way and it's the only way you should eat potatoes. Some of you are thinking, will you give me that recipe again? I'll be glad to. It's simple. See me afterwards. But the point is, you learn what people like by simply spending time with them. But there's another thing that happens when we break bread together. It, break down, it breaks down barriers. Now think about this. This is Jesus' stock and trade. is breaking down the barriers in our society. And he did that one relationship at a time by breaking bread, about building those relationships. So he engages Zacchaeus in this conversation. He goes to Zacchaeus' house and they break bread. As they sit around the table, Jesus, who knows Zacchaeus, allows Zacchaeus to get to know him. So if we want to have a life marked by Christ, a life changed by Christ, then we too have to engage in a relationship. We've got to work on that relationship with Christ because that's what he wants for us always. That's what he's beckoning for us. Christ calls to us as we come into church, as we sit in the stillness of the morning. Christ calls to us as we seek him out. So not only do we seek Christ, but we've got to go deeper by spending time studying the word, by asking questions of the text, by finding people to grow alongside of people that, that want to journey in faith with us. Broaden the circle of our friends to include those that want to grow even deeper as we do. To spend time in prayer. To not only pour our petitions out and our laments for the world, but to just listen to hear what it is that God has to say for us and who God is calling us to be, what God is calling us to do, even in the troubled spots in our lives, whether it's at work or at home or at school. Who engage in that relationship by breaking bread, not only at God's table, coming and realizing that in that simple meal of bread and wine that we have all that we need, but also in breaking bread with fellow children of God and listening to their story and letting them listen to ours and hearing how God is in the midst of us. It's about asking leading questions as we build fellowship with each other, whether it's in a Sunday school class or a small group or a group of friends trying to go closer to God. I think we had John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, an Anglican priest. You know, he had it all figured out, supposedly, but yet there was something missing in his soul. And he kept asking people, how do you have assurance? How do you have faith? How do you know that you've been saved? And he kept listening and kept listening until finally one day he's in, he's in worship and he's reading the opening of a commentary, the book of Romans. And it's at that moment that he realizes that Christ died for him. He kept engaging in that relationship until it caught him and changed his life. So for us to have our lives changed, we've got to be willing to climb down from the tree, to not just seek Jesus out, but to climb down from the tree and to let Jesus into our lives and let Jesus work on us just as we are, right where we are. If we're willing to do that, then the final step is to be willing to change. If we want to pray a prayer along the lines of, Lord, let me be an instrument of your peace or use me as you will, deploy me as you will, then we've got to be willing to change our lives. 
We've got to be willing to be different people than we are when we walked in the door to this place. There's nothing more depressing to colleagues of mine in ministry than to hear that they're going to a church that wants to change and wants to grow and wants to be different. And every time they suggest something, nothing changes. The people don't want to do anything different. They want to stay the same and hope that change will happen magically. Same is true for us. We can't say that we want to change our lives and be better followers, better disciples if we aren't willing to make a difference, to make a change in our lives. See, Zacchaeus sought Jesus out. He engaged with Jesus, and even when it was scary, he'd allowed himself to be changed. That's the beauty of what he said. Remember, we started off, he was a tax collector. He was motivated by self-interest and greed, and by the end of the text, what happens? He says, you know what, Lord? I'll give up half of what I own and give it to the poor, and anybody that I've defrauded, I'll pay back not, what, not only what I've defrauded them, but four times as much. Friends, that's the gospel. That's a life changed by Christ, by encounter with the risen Lord. So when we seek and we engage Christ, our lives are changed. When we pray, when we do good, when we consider how we spend our time and our financial resources, how we use our talents, our gifts, those things that God has given to us, our lives can be changed. We realize that life is not about me, but it's about us and about the world. Our lives can be changed. We begin to look around and to find the positive in what God has blessed us with and tune out the negative. Our lives are being changed. And when we give up the things that obscure our view of God, the things that take our eyes off of God, then our lives are irrevocably, irrevocably changed. So this only happens because of a conviction in our hearts and a desire to change that starts right here with us. But when we have that desire, when we focus on it, then the victory is our story today so that when Zacchaeus was asked, what do you do? He no longer said, I'm a tax collector. He says, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And that can be our story as well. What do you do? I'm a follower. So it leaves us with this, my friends. If we want our lives to be changed by Christ, if we want our lives to be more Christ-like, life built on what matters most, then we've got to be willing to seek Jesus. We've got to be willing to engage in that relationship. We've got to be willing to change. That's what matters. That's what this text is about. That's what the gospel is about. So I invite you to join with me in prayer. Just pray silently with me as I pray that God will pour his spirit out on us and change us to be the people that God wants us to be. Would you pray with me? Lord, speak for your servants are listening. Lord, we seek you even when we cannot see you. Teach us your ways. Show us your grace. 
feed our hearts, nourish our souls. Give us the courage to change our lives. Give us the strength to walk more closely in your steps. Guide our feet, O Lord, for we are your children and want to be called sons and daughters of the Most High. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings.